there is only one queen. Long live Queen Elizabeth. God save the queen. All that's happened on my watch is the place has fallen apart. The Crowncast, a new watch-along podcast series from News Talk. The Crown. The Crown. The Crown must win. Hello and you're very welcome to episode three of The Crown Cast, where we look at all things to do with series four of the new series of The Crown. Uh, we are going to look at episode three today and I am joined now by Off The Ball's own John Duggan to discuss his take on the latest ins and outs of the royal family. John, you're very welcome. Kira, how are you? I'm good. You are somebody who was not always a Crown fan. You, you haven't watched the previous series, is that right? No, I'm a a late developer when it comes to watching The Crown. Um, I know a lot about politics and monarchies and that, but and it's not that I had any aversion to watching, uh, say, the early years of Queen Elizabeth uh, II, but I just haven't got around to it. But uh, I was born in 1978, so I'm interested in this time. Uh, therefore, I've just joined it uh, when Margaret Thatcher comes to power, when Manbatten is murdered, and when... Uh, Princess Diana and Prince Charles get married. Uh, so I've actually hit it an opportune time because I, not that I remember because I was too young at the, at the very early eight years when uh, the 1991 when the marriage actually happened. But I do remember you couldn't not miss uh, Princess Diana growing up because every single uh, week in Hello magazine, she's on the front cover. Yeah. So, so I think that is why we are all as interested in season four as we are because, and I don't personally remember anything of the of the first three seasons. I do vaguely remember, I was in primary school, I was very young, when the, the Golden Jubilee, which was the end of season three, happened in yeah. 1977. But this is the era that we grew up with the royals, and, th- and that's why we're invested. What do you think, and you yourself, of course, in a previous life, have been an actor. What did you think uh, of the acting, particularly during this episode, Charles and Di? This is their big moment, the cusp of, of marriage, the engagement, all of that. Yeah, I was a kind of a part-time amateur actor uh, once upon a time in the Gaiety School, but I was always uh, sports broadcasting that I wanted to do, uh, Kira. But um, so I'm a fast. I was like looking closely at uh, the voices are absolutely fantastic. Mm. Emma Corrin, Josh O'Connor, uh, absolutely brilliant. Uh, and Julian Anderson isn't in this episode, but the the voice of Margaret Thatcher is is impeccable. Um, I like the hair. I remember like Princess Diana's hair from that photo and that, the, you know, the video of when she was in blue and white then, uh, just uh, that engagement announcement and she beautiful hair and the hair that Emma Corrin has is exactly perfect, is exactly the same. Um, the acting, I think she, like she has those kind of coquettish smirks, uh, Emma Corrin and that beautiful like piercing blue eyes and uh, she, she plays... Um, uh, somebody who was besotted and quite an innocent person. Like, effectively, you have to say, just a, a kid, really. Like, a 19-year-old just turning 20, getting I, married, I you know? That's that stands out quite a bit, John. Like, when we were young, when we were kids, we thought of her as an adult, even though she was only 18 when she got engaged. And we kind of, because she became this iconic figure, we, we didn't really recognise from our position of extreme youth, um, her youth. I mean, I have an 18-year-old daughter. She's she's a child to a large extent she's a kid and yet this was another 18 year old thrust onto the world stage in a, in a way that that I don't think any of us would have been able to get our heads around but you can see in this episode and I, and I know it's fictionalised and everything but but things like her you know roller skating and the music she was listening to she, she was a teenage girl Well the thing about the music is and uh as uh, fastidious as I can be at times and annoyingly so I was checking like are the music is the music in sync with the time so Edge of 17 
Stevie Nicks was released in 1981. Uh, the apt lyrics, just like the white winged dove sings a song, sounds like she's singing woo woo woo. And then she's on roller skates, as you say, listen to girls on film Duran Duran, Ultravox, Vienna. Did Prince Charles know who Ultravox were? I'd question that, you know? Did, did, well, there, did, was Prince Charles like like getting on on you know three o'clock in the morning, uh, having a, a sneaky listen to Duran Duran on his Walkman? Doubt it. No, uh, they're a generation apart. They're thirteen years between them. He was thirty one and she was eighteen when they got engaged. That's quite the age gap. It might that age gap might narrow mar- narrow rather if somebody was in their fifties or something. But at eighteen and thirty one, she was a schoolgirl with no life experience, and he was not the most mature of young men, perhaps, but he, was, he wasn't even that young of a man. No, he wasn't. And uh, it's a very interesting part in the episode where she has lunch with Camilla Parker Bowles. Oh, yeah. Uh, apparently, you know, I checked this, fact-checked this, it happened. It actually did happen, but it happened after the wedding. But it is, obviously, they've got to take a bit of artistic license. That's what the whole point of this thing. But it is weird, the whole thing is weird and you get the sense from whether Camilla is both friendly but also a little bit cutting and biting mm-hmm. in the way she's just throwing in like lobbing in there um, uh, Oh anec- you know what he's like Anecdotes he about yeah, and, and uh, you know, never it. never a second cup of coffee and oh and then there's the, the we Fred and Gladys we call each other this and that um, and it's just it's it's it, imagine how um, insecure Princess Diana yeah. would have felt uh, at the time dealing with this yeah. not only dealing with the firm of the royal family but also this elephant in the room the third person uh, and the fact that her husband-to-be isn't really into it and I think there was two things I took out of the um, <coughs> excuse me the episode marriage jitters and eating disorders which are still mm. relevant things in 2020 yes and and in fairness to Charles uh, he looks a bit cold. He looks a bit disinterested, but he is a bit disinterested. He, he according to the the Crown, the dramatized version was still in love with Camilla at this stage. Um, he refers to Lady Diana as she's a child, so he himself recognizes the, the the sort of age gap between them and the differences and maybe their experiences and their their heads and all of that kind of stuff. And and yes, he he does appear to have remained pretty much for all of his life devoted to Camilla, but of course he hadn't been allowed to marry her and. That meeting, you're right, Camilla's ostensibly being very supportive of Diana, but in actual fact, she's kind of being territorial, isn't she? Absolutely. And who disappears for six weeks and can't be contacted by their future um, spouse? But he was ringing the other one every day. And I mean, it was quite clear that she knew more about his comings and goings. I thought it was quite interesting that Camilla, whom obviously we only know from, we kind of came became aware of her when she was an older woman in her, I don't know, 50s or 60s or something when she remarried again for the second time in her life to Prince Charles. But she she isn't remotely, according to this, intimidated by Diana, who no. was at that time to become Queen of England. The boot is on the other foot. It's it's weird. The whole thing... I, yeah, I it found is weird. It, it, weird. It, the monarchy um, has to keep going. And this is almost like an arranged marriage. Well, it is. It's like a business it decision. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, that we're dealing with people's lives here. And sadly for Princess Diana, she actually, I think, got caught up in Prince Charles. And she was in love with him, I think, at the start and was besotted by yeah, him. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, but then it all started going wrong. Um, and Camilla, yeah, the assurance of, now, the actress um, Emerald Fennell does a brilliant job, but the assurance of Camilla, because Camilla wouldn't have known or maybe even thought that she'd ever be with Charles. Now, she managed to eventually marry him. 
But you probably have to think at the time, maybe there was too much assurance in the dramatised portrayal. I'd have to say that Camilla, as a human being, you'd have to think would be pretty broken hearted by the fact that uh, the man she wants to be with, uh, she cannot be with. I wondered about that too. I think it's a really interesting point and we've no way, of course, of knowing, but but they've portrayed it that, that Camilla was on side with this marriage and it was all fine. But yet you would wonder, like all of the aristocracy appears to collude to behave in a certain way and to accept these social norms that we see as, as quite weird and, and different to ourselves, but they seem to think are, are okay. It struck me that all through this, it, it, yes, you're right. I think I think Diana appears to have thought she was marrying the fairy tale, the prince charling as opposed to charming but she, that she was actually getting something good but actually what, what she was signing up to was to basically fulfill a role and the role is kind of sort of brood mare she she she's she was sort of i mean the the, the training scenes with her granny and, and the rope around lady for Oh, not any cork I, in that lady, I can tell you that. N- no, you'd hope not. I'd say cork <laughs> would, would, would give her up and, and disavow her. But, but it was uncomfortable viewing the, the, yeah. the, the coldness with which Diana was treated. Yeah, there's an intimidation. There's a kind of a sinister uh, undercurrent to the episode, which is called Fairy Tale, which was anything but. And it's interesting that they didn't even show the, the wedding. Um, yeah. That, that, like she comes in uh, to Clarence's house and there's a cruelty to the way uh, Princess Margaret is portrayed, telling a story about Imelda Marcos and that she's interrupted and that yeah. uh, Princess Diana uh, didn't courtesy in the uh, curtsy in the correct way and she has to... And you kind of feel there's not, it's, it's not far off bullying, to be honest. It's on the edge. It's like, how intimidating must have that been? And then she can't get through to the Queen. She can't get through to Prince Charles. Uh, she, there's almost like a prison-like feel to the thing already. Uh, yeah, they they moved her in to Buckingham Palace ostensibly to protect. I don't know what I keep saying ostensibly, but to, to protect her from the press uh, and the intrusions into her life that were going to become apparent. But they basically left her in in in, in a set of rooms and didn't go near her. So she was cut off from her own friends and family with no support coming up to the wedding. And, and kind of, it was supposed to be to protect her, but it was hard to know what it was really doing. And it's hard to know as well in real life in what the, at the time did she have support because obviously she had she came from a broken marriage uh, she didn't get on with her stepmother Rain um, like was she in touch with her dad a lot of the time uh, what were, were her friends uh, I, I love to have like the real story regarding how much support she actually had because she didn't seem to have it from her future spouse the firm as they call it didn't seem to be given her they gave her that support when she went to Balmoral but it's almost like yeah. Charles it's more about Charles Charles um, gets on the phone to the Queen well I've done it um, is it the engagement uh, uh, press launch and saying that uh, what, what, whatever love means which must yeah. have been devastating and then it's just a case of he's done his duty it's a dutiful thing for him to do you can feel the burden on Josh O'Connor the way he's uh, acting it out very well uh, but for her you must be thinking um, what a, what a, what a te- like you're almost she's been sucked into a vortex uh, of of this person who's a kindergarten yeah. teacher to becoming a princess. It was like Charles could do enough to satisfy the mother and the granny and, and the firm, as you say. That that was as far as he could go and no further. He didn't seem to be able to do enough to actually make Diana feel loved or, or welcomed or, or any of those things. I agree with you. That scene where she interrupts Princess Margaret... They humiliate her. I mean, they have her like piggy in the middle of, of a ring of, of people who, who 
outrank her in terms of, of, of you know, royal status. And they kind of laugh at her and, and mock her for her, her lack of knowledge of how to, to act in that situation. It was it was horrible viewing, and it reminded me of a scene in a previous series. You wouldn't have seen John, but but Princess Margaret has a bit of a meltdown in series three. Her marriage is unraveling, and she kind of she's vulnerable within the royal family because she she is clearly fragile. She's clearly having uh, she kind of has a sort of a of a breakdown of, of sorts, and they kind of all laugh at her and dismiss her, and 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 she's at a dinner table, and again she she kind of is humiliated by the group, and it. it Groups often act in those types of ways to bring, it's human nature to bring someone into line, but it's it's a kind of a, a, a pack animal. They, they, they scent blood, there's weakness in one member of the group and they kind of go for her. And, and I, I found that a very uncomfortable watch, the, the, the Princess Diana being told, oh no, not that, not, you go to me first. No, you go to me first. It was something really dislikable and distasteful in it. It's the stiff upper lip at its zenith. And that is the British way, like in the cliche that that's the way you've got to be, and that's what they had the whole issue when Princess Diana died about the um, that they weren't there was a vacuum that they weren't mourning with the public, and that is what the fascinating thing about this is because this is really an inflection point in the whole monarchy, in that this was the first televised wedding, really, it's because yeah. uh, in 1981, you know. T- like was Prince uh, Philip and Queen Elizabeth married in 1947. So this is the first TV wedding. Um, the UK public, I remember uh, reading about this first through Adrian Mole, um, the kind of the novel, Sue Townsend novel about the royal wedding. Um, this was so major. This was such a major deal. Um, as, and it was quite big between uh, William and Kate a few years ago because it is the heirs, the, the future heirs and heiresses to the throne. Um, so what you what, what I get the sense from the intimidation and the, you know, you just got to go on with it is the loneliness, as you say, yeah. of her getting those letters. It's almost like she's in Vietnam or she, like, you know, the Vietnam soldiers getting the letters from home or if you're in prison, yeah. you're getting a letter um, that she, you know, from people she doesn't know. And there's a loneliness and a lack of intimacy. She's getting all this public um, love with actual, not like real love, and and well, isn't that exactly it? The public loved her, but the the royal, and that seems to reflect what actually happened. But the the royal family were a cold house to her largely. Um, the public did really love Diana. They did identify with her. They did. Uh, do you think that on some level, I mean, obviously she was very good looking, and, and they, everyone likes the story of a fairy tale romance and a fairy tale princess and all of that. People grow up with those stories, but do you think people did sort of sense I don't know we were kids hard to know but sense at the time her vulnerability and that was why people warmed to her in a way maybe they didn't to the brigade I think what was interesting about Diana is that she was from the Spencers who were like good stock in the royal sphere Um, but she was able to transcend both the aristocracy uh, and also connect with the public Um, and that was the the sweet spot she, she could hit um, by doing things like the landmines, like you know, uh, shaking hands with with AIDS victims, yeah, uh, that we probably hadn't seen from a royal before. The Queen, I think, uh, has come across very well. Even as an Irish person, I would think the Queen come, come, comes across very well. Her trip to Ireland was a magnificent success a few years ago. Things have changed. The North is now there's peace in the North, um, and I think she comes across well as somebody that grew up um, in the in the in the in the war and the fifties. Um, but to bring 
um, the monarchy into a contemporary era, Princess Diana was the, was the person who did that. Um, so yeah. I'm fascinated to see the other episodes because it was also a very tumultuous time in Britain. There was riots in 1981 in Brixton and Toxteth in Liverpool. Um, it was a time of mass unemployment. Margaret Thatcher was giving them very tough medicine uh, and she's not in this episode. But I think Princess Diana was a bit of a release valve for them. Yeah, and uh, yeah. and also, yeah. she, you're right. She she did she broke taboos. The the, the landmine. See, I can still I I haven't that hasn't come up yet in the crown. I, I'm a few episodes ahead of you. I haven't seen it as yet. If it's there, that as you say, the AIDS victims. But even the hands-on parenting, she was clearly parenting in a different way to perhaps how Charles himself was parented. She she was very hands-on with her two boys. Yeah, you remember Chessington, or you know, you see them the water slides and. Will and, and Harry and she, she yeah. tried to give them normal lives and I, I know there's issues with Harry and Meghan and, and like there's a bit of a, a, a disconnect at the moment but Will and Harry come across as quite normal normal dudes yeah. uh, and so does Kate Middleton and that was the thing that she was able and I think she learned quickly because the per, the shy person you see both in the in the episode and in real life became quite confident quite quickly so there's obviously something in there with her that natural uh, ebullience that eventually they, came to the fore they do, though, show, and they're very good at this, actually, a little bit of, of sides to Diana. Obviously, there's the vulnerability, there's the, there's the bulimia, there's the, the, the loneliness and the isolation and all that, and you feel for that. But there's a couple of moments, and there was one at the end of, I think, episode two, where she was walking up the street with the paparazzi around her, uh, and there's one in this where she looks out over the crowds. You can sort of see her love of the adulation as well a little bit and and her warming to her role as uh, I suppose what was later called the people's princess absolutely yeah it's uh it's something that yeah you know, once again there was an industry that came out of it like hello yeah. magazine she has and, a love hate thing and the going tabloids on yeah that. and the attention but she was able to ride the attention and I, I remember growing up Kira and myself prince charles never came across very well um, he, he didn't come across no. as, the, as the goody. Uh, she came across as the person that um, was just so fascinating because, as you say, she's beautiful looking. Um, she thinks to say. She was outgoing. Um, there was always so, like she was quite an active person. Like you know, you, you, and, and she once again and almost to her and obviously to her to her cost to a degree. She created like the, the industry rode the, the the wave of of passion for her through the paparazzi. Um, yeah. And there's still the, the, the bulimia, like you touch upon there, there's still, like you, you, you think to yourself, somebody got, has got everything, like she's never going to yeah. have to work a day. She, she's going to be adored by everybody in the country, but still has personal problems around um, her image and the way she feels about herself and that she will yeah. have bulimia and um, will like raid the dessert uh, fridge late at night and then, and then uh, you know, Regurgitate right. it, um, yeah. that, and that still, you know, can be an issue. Like it's, it's an interesting thing about um, how people look on the outside and how they feel on the inside. And the other thing, as I <laughs> said a, a while ago, marriage jitters. Don't marry someone you don't love. Yes, and and actually that brings me on nicely. And and I think you're, I think you're right. And I think you're right. Everything you say there must have been a mad life she had to be adored by strangers and the public, but to feel a loveless situation in her personal life. But Margaret, before the wedding. 
suggests it should be called off and says, has this family learned nothing? Like the, the king who abdicated that actually thrust this particular line of the family into into the crown in the first place. Her own life blighted by being uh, a, a relationship, John, that you might have seen was broken up in her youth. Um, and she was told if she if she continued it, she would lose all her trappings of royalty. Um, they'd interfered in other couples in the past to not great effect and, and it was acknowledged before this wedding that they were doing the same thing here and yet nobody said no nobody cried stop No because the business and the, the monarchy mm. is too too important for individuals to be <laughs> the, the, the feelings of mere mortals uh, to be uh, Do you have any particular characters that you like or that you don't like? I, I have developed quite a, an instant fondness for, for Dennis Thatcher and I do not yeah. like the Queen Mother. Do you have any that you feel strongly about one way or the other? Um, and I'm looking at the acting and I think uh, um, the Gillian Anderson thing I'm not I'm not convinced uh, really? by, by the Margaret is it, Thatcher. Is it because she's too hot to it, be Thatcher? No, it's it's too affected. There, there, was a, there was effect with Margaret Thatcher in the way she spoke but it's too affected. It's too stiff. It's too rigid. Um um, but the voice is spot on and I'm interested in seeing the other episodes but it's it, it's not believable really Dennis Thatcher is very believable and I think that's the way he was like uh, the Prince Philip character um, I think is, is believable um, the guy who plays Prince Charles I quite like him and I yeah. don't really like him in real life uh, but no, I quite I don't. like his character um, I haven't seen Andrew I wonder why um, you will you will give you time okay um, he hasn't been airbrushed out um, uh, so and I'm interested in seeing, you know, the development of Diana um, in, in in the coming. You know, does uh, Emma Corrin or whoever is going to play her um, have that same um, outpouring of confidence that Diana began to show? So I think I think the acting, like the Helena Bonham Carter, comes across very dislikable. I don't know whether that was the objective, but they come across as not mm. from the, a couple of few episodes. I've seen the first three in, in, in this series. They don't come across as a likable bunch. And I think the Queen is a nicer lady than she's been portrayed as. Now, I haven't seen Do the you? previous episodes um, and I haven't seen the one subsequent to that. But the Queen, like Helen Mirren played her, she comes across as quite a nice lady. Um, that actually actually had concerns, say, in the 80s. Um, if you read all the all the, the, the reports that what, what Thatcher was doing to Britain. Yeah. Yeah, there were more of that will will come up down the line. Before we go, there's just one other thing I wanted to ask: what you thought about? Um, they, they use a technique, I think, in the Crown, and they use it to kind of brilliant effect, which is that they they have replayed some of the things that we have seen with our own eyes in the news in the past on screen in the crown like I'm thinking of for example as you mentioned earlier the engagement scene that well, well love whatever that means and 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 him with the arm and the shoulder and the blue suit and the and the engagement ring and and and, and there was a similar scene in, in episode 3 where where it was hard to know if it was almost like footage because she was walking up the street in a very distinctive kind of tartan sort of a skirt kilt thing and all the paparazzi were around her as 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 the Ferrari built about her being Prince Charles's squeeze and all of that but because they intercut scenes we've actually seen from the news in the past with the dramatized scenes behind the scenes um it does create a sense that we're watching <laughs> It's almost like it's a documentary. I yeah. know it's not, but it, it, it's a clever thing that they've done, isn't it? That they've it, recreated those news, those news footages. Yeah, they got the ring, like the picking of the ring, and I think you remember people remember that Diana's ring was what the blue, is it the sapphire or whatever, yeah. or whatever jewel it was. Um, yeah, like you then you you do create an association because even when she's a Balmoral, she's wearing a kind of a pink uh, ensemble, uh, almost like uh, she looks like a kids' TV presenter. But she did wear that. 
um, yeah. and that kind of blue um, top and with the white kind of um, uh, you know blouse. Um, so it it does it it does make you connect with the time, and then the the confusion then I think comes out of Akira is that what what are you believing here? Is this actually meant to be? Um, history as it was or is it meant to be an actual dramatisation I think it's important and I read this in the Telegraph during the week that it's important um, for people to realise that this is fiction it's fact as fiction and not yeah. all of this is true and unfortunately it's like it would be one of the best movies ever made was JFK one of the best films ever made by um, Oliver Stone but a load of the the stuff in the movie was nonsense yeah. Yeah. but it was so well done that people believe this to be the the case around uh, JFK's assassination. Um, I'll just finish it, like in just to digress slightly. In that, marriage jitters and uh, not marrying someone for the wrong reasons and arranged marriages and the actual pain and um, the way these people's lives turned out and the tragic end of of Princess Diana. Steve yeah. Jobs went to Stanford University to give a speech fifteen years ago. Uh, the man who created Apple and has changed the way we live our lives through smartphones and he's now passed away but there was this quote from Steve Jobs when he gave uh, when I was 17 I read a quote that went something like if you live each day as if it was your last someday you'll certainly be right it made an impression on me and since then for the past 33 years I've looked in the mirror every morning and asked myself if today were the last day of my life what I want to do what I'm about to do today and whenever the answer has been no for too many days in a row I know I need to change something. With Prince Charles, he did not want to do what he was about to do with marrying Princess Diana and look what the end result was. That's quite profound, to be honest. And I think there's a lot <laughs> a lot in It's that. only a podcast. It's only a podcast. Uh, groundbreaking podcast, I should argue. Can I ask you just before you go, um, you're, a, you're, you're a new, as you say, a late adopter of The Crown. Are you glad that you, you've, you've watched it? Yes. Do you feel that, that it merits the, the hour-long episodes and all of that? I do, and I think it's good for uh, people that I think you can't teach enough history. And I think history has been an option on curriculums and that kind of thing. History is what binds society in a positive way. Like what Trump is doing at the moment is absolutely disgusting. Mm. And I think that is important, even if there's a little bit of artistic license for people to have a, know what's gone on in their country. Uh, that's why Reeling in the Years is such a great programme. Uh, because we need to know what That's happened. That's the Irish version of The Crown in a yeah, way. Yeah, in a way. And it's yeah. it's very Irish and it's like there's a bit of a soundtrack. There's actually no narration and we're watching it on Christmas Day when we've had too much turkey sandwiches and we're oh, that's what Charlie Hockey did. Um, and I think that that is so important that people know yeah. what's gone on in their country. And, and, and to be fair to The Crown, on them generally it's given a good account of what happened. Look, thank you so much for talking to All me right, today. Karen. That is the excellent uh, John Duggan from Off the Ball sports broadcaster actor extraordinaire and also uh, crown aficionado um, thank you we'll, get, we'll, we'll do it again John cheers Kira. thank you thank you all for listening to this episode of the Crowncast every Monday Wednesday and Friday we do put out an episode looking at one episode of the new series series 4 of the crown you can join us at 6 o'clock when we drop those episodes or indeed you can listen to them wherever you get your podcasts from after that the Crowncast a new watch-along podcast series from News Talk. The Crown. The Crown. The Crown must win.